Hi, how you doing? Welcome to my podcast, A Design for Life. How to survive and thrive at life. My name's Phil Mears, entrepreneur, mindset coach, and I want to share with you my life lessons and how I learned to survive some unbelievable life traumas. But also, from that, I designed a successful life for myself. I'll also share with you my harrowing backstory and how I can help you with not just the big life-affirming challenges and changes you want to make to your life, but also the little everyday challenges when you're feeling a little bit disorientated and you maybe need a little bit of a boost to get you going again. This podcast is where you'll discover my secrets of how to apply a positive mindset to uplift your life when you're feeling a bit stuck, maybe don't know which way to turn. And you will be able to thrive in ways you've never before imagined and perhaps start living the best life you can. I'm excited to have you with me here, so thanks for tuning in. Hi guys and welcome back. It's great to have you here once again and I'm delighted to be a part of your journey from simply surviving in life and moving towards thriving because, let's face it, just surviving is hard work. Every day you have to expend huge amounts of energy and effort just to stand still. And living like that is exhausting mentally, physically and emotionally. And not only that, if you make one simple little mistake, it can have huge consequences on your life. Which means you're then still having to make an even greater effort just to get back to where you were. And that's a shit way to live. So in this episode... I'm going to be talking about six toxic habits that need to be dead and buried in order to move from simply surviving in life to thriving, a transition we're all ready to make, right? Now, whether it's your job, your career, business, or relationships that are suffering because you can't seem to get ahead in life, this episode is for you. The six toxic habits here are ones I have experienced and concluded I needed to dump in order to thrive in my life. Now pay particular attention to number six, as this is the one that I believe only comes through age and experience. So take on board that one as early in your life as you possibly can, because it will transform your self-image vastly. And don't forget that if you find this episode useful, share it on your feeds, on Facebook, Insta and TikTok and let people know because so many people in my experience are looking for a reboot in their lives. So let's get started with habit number one, complaining and moaning. Now, if you're a complainer, stop it right now because people around you will be pissed off with you. But they probably won't tell you to your face. I bet just me talking about it, you can think of someone right now that you know or have known just like that. And you just wanted to shout at them, cheer up, will you? Now, I worked with someone for years and then later she worked for me. And she could not stop complaining about stuff. Her first words when walking into the office in the morning would be negative. She'd be moaning about something. It didn't matter what it was. It could be the weather, traffic, someone in the shop, the office lift, what was on TV last night, or all of the above. In the 20 plus years I knew her, she never changed. And yet her job actually required her to be positive in order to succeed because she was a cold calling telesales rep. And you can't do that job unless you maintain some sort of PMA. Her life must have felt like a battle every day. 
To be that pissed off about everything must have been gruelling. I doubt she ever recognised a single thing in her life that she was grateful for. How can you, if you always view life through a half-empty glass? But that's the key to overturn your habit of complaining. Look for what you are grateful for each day, as many times a day as you can. And when you find yourself complaining about something, stop and reframe it into what it is about that thing that you're actually grateful for. So let's look at the weather. Here in the UK, we have the benefit of changing weather. The landscape is always differing, so celebrate it. Sometimes it rains, but that gives us a lush green landscape and good quality, plentiful tap water that you can drink. Imagine it's too hot. We'll celebrate that. At least it's not raining anymore. The traffic. Now, if you're in traffic and you're stuck in traffic, then that must mean you own a car where you can go anywhere you like whenever you decide. You have the ultimate choice of mobility. In that car, you're pretty safe. You can choose to share your journey with someone or enjoy some solace, listen to the radio or music of your choice or a podcast, or immerse yourself in the only quiet time you can get. For me, as a wheelchair user, a car is essential for my mobility. And no doubt, it is yours too. So by turning the negative to a positive, by virtue of looking for the gratitude in the situation, suddenly you find that you've got nothing to complain about. Also, with regard to complaining or moaning about people, we can all do with being a little less judgmental about others and ourselves. Firstly, everyone makes mistakes, including you and me and everyone we know. So why judge and complain? Rather, if we accept it, as a fact of life that people will fuck up, they'll let us down, they'll disappoint us, and we occasionally will do the same, then we can shift our focus and highlight two things I think we should remember. Forgive them, or you, for the cock-up. Don't dwell on it. So we made a mistake. So they made a mistake. Let it go. Leave it. Put it in the past. And secondly, learn the lesson from it. So don't make the mistake again. I had reason to look at this recently. I made a cock up and I started punishing myself for it. And then I started thinking, why am I punishing myself? I've made the mistake and now I'm compounding it by punishing myself for making that mistake. Let it go, but learn not to do it again. And it took me a while, but I did it. So I'm still learning this lesson to this very day. It takes practice. But if I hadn't got the mindset to have learned to do that in the first place then I'd probably still be punishing myself for the mistake right now. So it's advisable to learn from that. So the first one is forgive them or yourself and learn the lesson from it, put it in the past and move on. This helps to lessen your stress levels by just rolling with the waves of life. And this reframe stops you from upsetting your life's rhythm. This leads us to habit number two that you need to ditch in order to thrive in life. Winning the blame game. So what is going on when we blame others? Often for our own mistakes. And the reason why people usually blame others is that it's a quick escape from guilt. Blame is an incredibly easy and effortless tactic to use when we feel defensive. And by pointing the finger at others, it deflects attention from ourselves and the cock-up that we've just made. Those that seek to blame others often do this as an irrational and an immediate reaction to something having gone wrong. Now, speed is crucial here, 
because whoever gets to apportion blame first wins the blame game and by default is therefore not wrong. Now when I say that out loud you can see how unfair that is even if you know it is you that I'm talking about. Think of this if you repeatedly act like that with someone How's that going to affect your relationship with them? How are they going to feel about themselves or you, be it at home or work, with a friend or a family member? Now, when I was younger, my father would always be pottering about with something, usually mechanical, a car, a motorbike. And initially, as a young kid, I'd be curious about what he was doing and obviously want to help. And he'd ask me to perform simple tasks like passing him tools or sweeping up, that sort of thing. And like any son and father working together, this was a potential opportunity to bond. All totally natural and positive. However, my interest in helping my father waned until it disappeared altogether. The reason? My father played the blame game. His short temper and lack of patience would predictably mean I was to blame for something, even though my father never actively taught me anything during these times in the garage. He just expected me to know what he knew. And if I got things wrong, I'd be shouted at and berated. If I didn't clear up properly or passed him the wrong screwdriver or didn't know what a pair of Stilsons were. Do you know what a pair of Stilsons are? I only know because I learnt the hard way. Well, if I got all that wrong, I'd be shouted at or hit. Whatever situation would occur that wasn't as he wanted it, he would lash out with his blame. Not just with me, with everyone. I never remember him accepting responsibility for anything that went wrong, even when it was glaringly obvious it was his fault. So he was always playing the blame game. And he was good at it, because he won every single time. Now, just take a minute to be conscious about your opinion of that sort of person. Forget the fact that it's my father and I'm his son, and he's older and I'm younger. Just imagine that that's anyone, two people. Put yourself in the position of being conscious about the opinion of the sort of person that blamed you for everything, things that you were supposed to know but had never been shown. How would you feel if you were in that position repeatedly, as a child or an adult? How would you feel about the person that invoked those feelings in you? How long before you would feel the need to reject that person? Now ask yourself... Have you ever reacted like that with someone more than once? I have. And I feel terribly guilty about it because I'm repeating a pattern of behaviour I have despised since I was a child. And one of the things when I used to run my business, one of the things that I used to be conscious of is that with my staff, it was always my responsibility, I felt, to make sure that everybody had been shown exactly what it was that was expected of them. Because I couldn't, I couldn't possibly criticise anybody for doing the job wrong if I hadn't shown them the right way in the first place. So it was always important to make sure that everybody knew what they were supposed to be doing. And sometimes it takes more than once to show people. So in order to stop playing the blame game, what do you do? I attach feelings of being the bully to playing the blame game. And anyone who's followed my podcast to this point will understand my feelings about bullying. So when something goes wrong, if you can take a second or just a fraction of a second before reacting, this will allow you to be mindful of your reaction, which makes it less likely to be one of blame. Now, this minuscule pause is what I like to call the fire break, because what is driving your desire to blame is a fire. 
a fire of anger. Anger at yourself for fucking up, either directly or indirectly. Now, if you take my father berating me for passing him the wrong screwdriver, he was angry at himself for not showing me what the right screwdriver was. But it was the immediate fire of his temper that was driving that anger. And because he did not pause for a fire break, he reacted. And out came the blame game, projected in my direction. Now, if he or any of us have the desire to recognise this behaviour in ourselves and can apply a fire break, we're able to see that there's no need to blame anyone. I'm under no illusion that in the heat of the fire, taking this fire break is easier said than done. But it takes practice. But isn't it something worth trying for the sake of the relationships in our life, professional or personal? Have that deep, honest conversation with yourself and you may just master the art of the firebreak and see your relationships thrive. But like I say, it takes practice. Now, you're not going to get it right every single time, but if you get it right more times than you get it wrong, you'll be forgiven. So try it next time you find yourself in that position. And if you come across that situation next time and it doesn't happen, then recognise that it didn't happen. And next time it does happen and you feel the need to blame somebody, bow to yourself, you're going to try and insert a fire break. And eventually you'll do it. Having these deep, honest conversations with yourself is something that I recommend and encourage to all of my clients when they're battling certain behaviours. Because the answer and the truth is within us all. But despite the obvious benefits, we suppress those conversations because they are painful. And it's specifically the art of talking with oneself honestly that will allow us to dump habit number three. Negative self-talk, which leads to limiting beliefs. Now, here's what I believe. You are the ultimate winner in life. You are potentially a billionaire, political leader, world champion scientific pioneer or whatever captain of revolution this world needs that is you yes you i'm talking specifically to you there bullshit i don't think so you have the capacity to be whoever and whatever you want to be but your limiting self-belief is what holds you back you may be telling yourself right now that to become some sort of superhero in life you need superhuman qualifications which you don't have. Let's look at some of the world's billionaires, where and how they became so. Let's begin with the idea of an education, a university degree. And is that what they do? They get a university degree and then get lucky? Henry Ford, Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, Lord Sugar, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates. Not a single degree between them. All billionaires. How they became billionaires differs But they all have two things in common. No degree and no limiting self-belief. Pick somebody from any of the outline categories I've mentioned and ask yourself if they practiced negative self-talk. Did they have doubts and fears? I imagine they did. But they will have maintained a healthy practice of self-belief and so should you. Now I'm going to shine a spotlight on four common examples of negative self-talk. And I've seen these in people who are struggling to survive in life and find it impossible to thrive because of these four common examples of negative self-talk. So here's the first one, filtering. Now this is where you magnify the negative aspects of a situation and filter out all the positive ones. Second one, personalising. 
Now, this is the opposite of blaming, where your knee-jerk reaction is to accept responsibility yourself for something that went wrong, that isn't necessarily your fault. Another one, third one, catastrophizing. Believing your situation is worse than it actually is, or exaggerating the difficulty of rectifying a challenging situation. And the last one here, fourth, perfectionism. This is often defined as the need to appear to be perfect, and that anything other than pure perfection is failure. When I highlight those, and I give the explanation, it all sounds pathetic. Anyone that is punishing themselves is going to struggle to survive and find it impossible to thrive. But these are habits I see repeatedly. And you can see that anybody who practices these behaviours is going to find it difficult to survive, let alone thrive. And when I say all these out loud, it sounds pretty sad that someone should treat themselves like that. But you can also see how someone that does that would find thriving impossible because they're always getting in their own way. So how do we deal with it, Phil? It's been years I've been doing this. I just can't stop. Okay, well, no, you can't stop straight away. You're going to have to work at it. So you start by recognising it first. Whenever you find you are doubting yourself, convincing yourself there's no point even thinking you can be fill in the blank. So why try? Get present with what you're telling yourself. And why? Where it came from? What you are avoiding by telling yourself this. That is it. That's where you begin. You do that often enough, you'll get fed up of telling yourself all the negative things and you will begin to remove it from your behaviour patterns. And it will either not happen at all, which is a win, or as happens quite often, you begin to say more positive things about yourself. Now, I'm not claiming this behaviour alone will make you a world champion or a billionaire, but it will definitely set you on a path out of simply surviving in life to thriving for you, those that rely on you. And that's got to be a good place to start, hasn't it? Often I see that limiting beliefs begin way back in someone's past. So I do understand the enormity of the task of reversing such an ingrained behaviour. But that's where habit number four comes in, that we should kill too. Dwelling on the past and allowing it to spoil the present and destroy the future. The process of dwelling on the past, particularly events that have happened, can't be changed. It's called rumination. So ruminating on events that have gone is clearly a fruitless task. So what are the consequences? Well, they're quite serious, to be honest. Ruminating on the past can cause serious mental health conditions, including anxiety and panic attacks, depression, trauma, PTSD, and a lot more. And I'm not over-dramatizing. I've seen this behavior many times, and I believe rumination is the ruination of a life. In episode one of this podcast, I talked about wanting to end my life because I was ruminating on the significant past event that I felt had ruined my life. And I couldn't see any pleasure in the present and no future worth living for. Now, if that process had not been arrested, I would not be here now, living an, albeit different, best life. Ruminating felt, for me, like reliving the past over and over. Each minute or hour I spent doing it convinced me more firmly, more definitively, that there was nothing in life left for me. What I was actually happening was that evil little rumination goblin 
was running around my mind, kicking the tables over and setting fire to my house of love. While ever I was focusing my energy on the mistakes of the past, I was never going to build new strategies for moving forward because I was ruminating on my fear of repeating those past behaviours. Now, whilst we may think of our lives as a linear progression, it is in fact, when you magnify it, not a line at all, but a series of dots. And each of those dots represents a moment in time. And the very last dot is the one you're living now. And it doesn't go in a straight line. It goes all over the place. The next dot is never there. And the previous dot is written and is indelible. So we can't change it now. We can only influence the dot of the time that we are in now and ensure that once that dot has become indelible, we're happy with it and we're happy with how we use that time, the time of present. This moment that you're in right now, whatever you're doing, just analyse it. Is it something that is getting you further ahead in life? Is it moving you towards thriving? And if the answer is no, then change it. Change the dot of the moment in time you are in now so that when this moment has passed that indelible dot behind us leaves a mark that we can be proud of and we just build up these series of dots a series of positive dots which when you stand back from it will look like some kind of line but in the close-up moments that we are experiencing we can do something about it we change the present we can plan for the future and ruminate on the past but the present is the only one we can change, whether it's our mindset or our behaviour. And if you find that difficult, consider habit number five and make it your new way of being. Stop resisting change. Whether you like it or not, you have changed. You are not your 10-year-old self anymore. So stop digging your heels in and resisting what is inevitable and positive for our future well-being. Resistance to change often comes down to one reason in my experience, fear. Fear of stepping out of the known and into the unknown. When we desire change, say to move house or a new relationship or the ending of a relationship, changing jobs or starting a business, negative self-talk and blame are both coming into play here with our resistance to change. We talk negatively about our expectation of the worst things that could happen if we attempt to change them. And we can blame a perceived external reason for not making that change, such as the timing not being right or other people's interference, real or imagined, or telling ourselves we need more knowledge. These are all clearly excuses argued effectively with the willing audience of ourselves to justify keeping things just the way they are. Another poor excuse I hear for resistance to change is, well, I've always done it this way, so there's no need to change now. Or here's one, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What a load of crap. Life around us is changing all the time, quite rapidly in fact. And if we're not on a programme of conscious improvement, then we're getting left behind. We all should embrace change as a programme of self-improvement. That way, it becomes much more palatable and therefore easier to accept. If we begin with smaller, easier habits of change, when the bigger changes come along, we will feel more able to accept them. So rather than taking a significant change in circumstances as a whole and becoming overwhelmed by it, 
break it down into little chunks and focus on the elements within your control in the present moment in that dot and deal with them first and them only and when you've completed that task and it becomes in the past celebrate your achievement no matter how small it was self-care is important here and if you don't acknowledge your wins then your mindset never gets to feel the benefit of the success you have gained and you'll always be dominated by the fear mindset you have to smother that fear in success and also recognize that the period of transition is temporary and that what is new at the moment will become the norm once you've got control over it. So it's just a passage of time that, with consistent effort, will soon be in your thriving phase. So fear of change is pointless. Acceptance of change as a way of moving from surviving phase to the thriving phase is surely the mindset we need to adopt. This is where I introduce habit number six that you need to eradicate from your behaviour. And one that has taken me a lifetime to realise. And this is the habit of the need to impress others or gain their approval. Now, what's behind this type of behaviour? It's clearly to do with very low self-image and being insecure about who you are, which is something we are more acutely aware of when we're younger, more than when we get older. Because when we get older, we care less and less about this. Which tells you what? Well, for me, it says that the years pass, we gain a clearer idea of who we are and acceptance of who we are. Having made our mistakes and learnt from them while noticing that nobody else really cares as much as we thought they did. Almost nobody presents themselves on social media these days the way they truly are. It's all a facade to give the impression they are, well, whatever they want people to think they are. But when you're young, this seems to be important. Differentiating between virtual life and real life is almost impossible for those in their 20s, certainly in their teens. Pretty much everyone in their 20s nowadays believes that everyone else is interested in what they do and how they look. Whereas, and take this from a guy in his late 50s, the truth is they're too self-absorbed to give a shit about you. They care about themselves, not you. If you didn't cut your hair or wear makeup for a year, who would really give a toss except you and your sense of worth? When you get to my age, you realise that nobody cares if you walk down the street without having spent two hours in front of the mirror. I don't mean me. I can't actually imagine what I'd do for two hours in front of a mirror. Two minutes is plenty for me. But I mean anyone, no matter how young they may be. By trying to impress other people, all you're doing is filling up your low self-esteem with the approval of others to temporarily make you feel better about yourself. But the more you do that, the more this behaviour becomes addictive. And much like any addiction, once the euphoria of the hit has worn off, immediately you'll start seeking another hit. Your whole life has become about seeking the approval of others, whether in real or virtual life. This way of life is exhausting. And here's the truth. You are not what other people perceive you to be. And chasing after that perception of yourself is a fruitless task as you'll never achieve it because it's a mirage it doesn't exist and you like all of us when you get older you will realize this that people don't actually give a shit 
Only you do. And when you've made enormous effort to present the idea of yourself that you want others to see, how do you feel when you get criticism? And when this happens repeatedly, how does your already fragile, low self-image feel? Now, you won't be criticised by everyone. You will get compliments or the approval you desire from some people. You'll get likes or comments on social media. And it might be many people that do that. But then you'll get that one critical or disapproving voice that speaks up. And suddenly, this is all you can focus on. How could they not see how wonderful I am? What is wrong with me? I need to try harder. And that's precisely what you do do. And this is the narrative keeping you awake at night. The one that you find yourself on a never-ending carousel that leads nowhere but to anxiety and even poor self-image. Until the cycle is broken. A side effect of this addiction is that it will breed jealousy and criticism of others, akin to playing the blame game. Whoever criticises first has won the approval game, because if they then criticise me, well, it's just because of my comment. They're just jealous of me, when in fact, it's your jealousy that's driving these actions in the first place. So it's a minefield, isn't it? It is a vicious circle that's very easy to get into, but very difficult to get out of unless you make a conscious decision. But making that conscious decision when you are so wrapped up in the idea that other people's opinions of me are so important, then you can't break it just like any other addiction. It could be addiction to drink or drugs. It's very difficult until something catastrophic or something significant happens. It will continue. And the only other way is by getting old, like I have. And that takes years. Seeking the approval of others is fraught with this toxicity. And to wait until you are later in life to realise this for yourself is just wasting precious time because this behaviour will hold you back. And you will never be able to thrive whilst ever you are practising this habit of seeking other people's approval. So to stop this behaviour, much like eradicating the blame game, you need to stop judging others. The way you believe you're being judged. Whether you are presenting a fake image of yourself or the real you, there will always be people who do not care for you. So why bother trying to seek that approval? You know when you are dealing with fake people who are trying to impress you. But so does everyone else. And that is how they'll be judging you. Except you haven't realised it yet. Instead, have the courage to be disliked. And accept the fact that you are not everyone's cup of tea. Nobody is. Inside you is a person that has value in the world. And there are others in the world that would appreciate getting to know the real you. If you just let that person out. If you want genuine connections with people that are deep, and long-lasting, then it is the real you they will need to see. And trust me, that person does have people just waiting for you to show up. Vulnerability is not a weakness, not in today's society. Show the fact that you are not perfect. And by seeking other people's approval, that's what you're trying to do. To show them that your life is perfect, that you are perfect, that your appearance is perfect. Bollocks to that, show people the real you. And then the other real people who see that connection will show up for you. Promise you. I learnt this a long, long time ago when I was a child. That you just have to be yourself. 
And no, not everybody's going to like that, but the right people will. So get used to stepping out of your own way and stop focusing on what the hell you think is going on in someone else's head. Because whatever it is, you can't control it. However, you can control what's going off in your head and when you stop caring about what others may think. That's where you will be when you were my age. But you can be there now if you practice a little bit more self-approval and bollocks to everyone else. The journey you take from surviving to thriving will mean a fair degree of change. Some of which you will be on board with and some will be quite a stretch for you. But nevertheless, if you embrace the journey and accept the mindset that improvement equals change for the better, as you move through life, you will see and feel more success. Promise you. There's no pill you can take and lie down until it takes effect and you can get up a new improved you. It involves a gradual turnaround involving regular, consistent input that will eradicate toxic habits and replace them with more life-affirming ones. The six habits that I've drawn attention to in this episode were chosen by me for a reason. And that is because I've had to and still do work on them. Some require more management than others because thriving means constantly not wanting to slip back into survival mode. So you have to be conscious of the potential for that to happen. But the effort of management becomes diminished when the habits become more natural. And that's where you want to be with them. So what I recommend is this. If you look at the list of habits and find that more than one of them applies to you, then decide which are important and which are urgent and deal with the urgent ones first and introduce the important ones when you feel ready. But start today because just thinking about what you need to do will not climb this ladder of success. It's the action you take that makes the difference. And when it comes to getting out of survival mode, there is no time to waste. Exciting gains are there to be achieved. So practice every day diminishing these six toxic habits and begin living the life that you have designed. Thanks for being here, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's certainly been a blast for me. Please stick around because there is more to come. Take care until next time. Thanks for listening to my podcast, guys. I really appreciate your company. And I hope you got something from this episode that can help you with your life. If you did, then click subscribe because I've got so much more to share with you and I don't want you to miss a thing. Also, why not bring your friends on the journey and share this podcast with them? You can post feedback in the comments section. I'd love to hear what you've got to say. Or you can get in touch with me direct by visiting my website at designforlifecoaching.com, especially if you're struggling at the moment and you need a lift. In the meantime, stay safe, guys, and I look forward to catching up with you soon.